0: And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres
1: and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of 40 Acres and a Fool. Can you believe it? It is episode 30. I'm kind of surprised that it's already episode 30. We started doing this back in the depths of winter, and here we are edging towards fall. It has been a uh, good week on the farm. Hopefully it's been a good week for you since we uh, last spoke. We've been uh, very, very busy, you know, still getting the pork under control. So the uh, the bacon has been cut. We have 18 slabs of bacon right now. Uh, I would say each of them uh, uh, well over a pound that are curing at the moment. So we'll be putting those in the smoker here in the next few weeks. Oh, I'm so excited. Can't wait. We've got a ham going. We've got... Uh, More hams in the freezer. We have a lot of ham. We have a lot of ham. When you have uh, four, when you have two hogs processed, that gives you uh, four big hams. And uh, one of our hogs, you know, was almost three hundred pounds. So these hams are enormous. I don't even know if we're going to be able to do a bone-in ham for uh, for one of them. So uh, we've been busy making sausage and uh, eating sausage and pork chops. It has been delicious. Uh, moved our goats around. I think we talked about this on the uh, last program. We moved the goats to the front yard. So uh, over the past weekend, we decided it was a beautiful, beautiful weekend. Uh, we haven't had many weekends like this over the course of the summer in Virginia. There was no humidity. It was like a high of 75 on Saturday. Oh, just gorgeous. Blue skies. So we decided, you know, we're going to let the uh the goats wander around and uh and just eat and nibble at some of the grass and some of the the bushes uh, beyond the fence. So we did uh let all of the goats out. You know, we've got our goats in two separate enclosures. We've got the older goats and then we have um a, a two younger ones uh that we call Splotches. Yeah, I didn't I didn't name that goat. And then uh, Miss Freckles, who is Freckles' daughter, you know, Freckles. Uh had to be put down over the winter, but uh, his daughter is black and white spotted just like uh, her dad, so she's Miss Freckles. Uh, and they have been uh, in their own separate pen. So when they saw all of the other goats wandering around, they start, me meh, 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 so loud. I can't even do it as loud as they were. Uh, so we let them out, too. Uh, everybody got along, and then we decided, you know, we, we needed to move some of these goats around anyway. So, uh... Uh, splotches, the young boy, the young. I should note the young intact buck. Um, we put him and uh, uh, two of the uh, female goats, the uh, Nigerian dwarf goats, um, in with him, so that we can have baby goats and we can start milking the uh, uh, the uh, the the does here. Before long, well, in the in the spring. Um, so they're off in their own little love nest, um, which is also uh, very loud and I I've never, okay. So I didn't see this with, with Mr. Freckles. I apologize. We should note if you have kids here, we're going to be talking about goat mating for a minute. Uh, and it may get a little weird. So you might want to send your kids out of the room. You might want to leave the room, uh, actually now that I think about it, but anyway, Mr. Freckles, I never saw any, uh, aberrant behavior with Mr. Freckles when it came to mating with the goats. Like, he didn't act weird. He, You know, he, he, he acted like a goat. <laughs> this buck that we have right now is crazy. He's crazy when it comes to these goats. I mean, he's running around. His tongue is hanging out of the side of his mouth, really. if And I, I try not to anthropomorphize my animals. I really do. But if this goat were a human being, he would be... The perv, you know, naked underneath the raincoat, just flashing people on the street. I mean, that's what this goat is doing. Running around, just making the weirdest noises, tongue hanging out, uh, ready to go, shall we say, um, with the does who want nothing to do with him. Right? They're running away. Get this weirdo away from me. So it was, um, yeah, it was a weird introduction. Things seem to have uh, settled down into a routine because it's been a couple of days but uh, so anyway so we put splotches in with a couple of the the older does uh, and that meant that miss Freckles had to go in with the uh, other uh, critters so you know Lola the lamb who's really Lola the sheep now uh, and then we have Frankie, we have Fiona and they're all F names I know I know. Frankie uh, short for Francisco Peter Francisco was a, a local Revolutionary War hero. Maybe I'll talk more about uh, Peter Francisco uh, later in the show. We'll, we'll do a little local history. Um, Fiona Fern, who was uh, Freckles' uh, offspring from the, uh, the the last season. And then uh, I think that I want to say there's one more in there with them, but uh, I, I can't remember uh, at the moment um, who that might be. Anyway, it has been a, uh, a period of adjustment uh, for poor Miss Freckles, who is very, very small. I mean, she's a dwarf Nigerian goat, but Freckles was kind of a small uh, buck, and uh, and and her mom, Miss uh, Freckles, Freckles' mom, is kind of small too. They were uh, Freckles was the runt, I think, of the litter. So parents smaller than usual for dwarf Nigerian goats, and uh, man, Miss Freckles is just tiny. She's she's not quite a miniature goat um but she's she's very undersized and so this poor little goat is just she, Fiona is the alpha of the uh, the goat group she's the one in charge even even francisco who uh he's been fixed he's been taken care of even francisco bows down uh to the matriarch of the herd and fiona has decided that uh, freckles apparently needs to know her place. Now, I don't think that Freckles has been asserting herself to say, hey, listen, I know I'm the smallest one here, but I'm in charge of this herd now. I have not seen any, any behavior like that whatsoever, but uh, Fiona has again uh, been asserting herself to let her know that uh, that she is the one in charge of that herd. So anytime I come in and I'm petting and playing with the goats, Fiona just you know barges right in, kind of chases Freckles away. Uh, first night there, she was trying to chase Freckles away from the food. That was uh, kind of problematic, but I haven't seen that uh, happen since. So the goats are all settling into their uh, their new arrangements. Uh, some are are handling it better than others. <laughs> that's that's fine. the uh, The hogs are good um, and not just tasty, uh, but the uh, American Guinea Hogs that we have left, Abigail Adams and her uh, offspring, are all doing well. We're getting ready to move them into some uh, fresh pasture as we get ready for the uh, fall months, and we have to build them a new uh, winter shelter. So that's going to be uh, that's on the agenda for the next couple of weeks here. It is. We have a couple of weeks, but uh, I, I don't want to wait until the very last minute to uh, to make my pigs their uh, their winter home. Uh, the chickens are doing well, um, laying eggs. the uh, The fence that they're in and the chicken tunnel are still holding up well. Uh, we did have. Sort of an interesting experience. So A few weeks ago, uh, I think I told you the, the fox had come back. We've we've not seen coyotes around in a while, and that's good. Uh, but uh, there's been a fox hanging around, and Miss E was able to take a shot at it the uh, last time that uh, it came in, which was probably about two weeks ago. Uh, and Miss E thought that uh, she missed. She said, you know, the, the she heard the fox go, Burr, and then what does the fox say, right? Uh, and then it took off, and so she just assumed, well, I, I didn't get it. No, she did. She did get the fox. Uh, and, and we discovered this a couple of days ago because uh, there's been this kind of funky smell uh, down in the garden. And I, you know, I, I actually assumed that something had died, but I thought it was kind of like a squirrel maybe um, or a groundhog uh didn't really want to investigate it uh, too closely anyway no, it was a fox. it was the fox uh and we actually found the bones picked clean uh of this fox in the uh, corner of the garden a couple of days ago, so it's actually pretty neat to see i mean it was kind of amazing how uh uh quickly the scavengers and the bugs and everything else had just picked this. Uh, carcass uh, down to the bone. I mean, there's nothing left but a uh, but a skeleton of a fox. So this was a uh, this ended up turning into a science lesson uh, uh, on the farm. So we got the kids down. The kids come on, look, look, see the fox. And my daughter was really interested uh, by it. My uh, youngest son was not. He was kind of grossed out by it. But uh, my youngest daughter just thought it was really, really interesting. Oh, look, you can see the teeth. And oh, look, you can see all of the tail bones. And yeah, so it was it was. Uh, it was an interesting learning experience, uh, and I told Messiah I said, "Listen, you are a better shot than uh, than you give yourself credit for." So the next time you know one takes off, go track it for a little bit because it might not have gone very far. So those have been the uh, that's been the big activity, I guess. Uh, making sausage, discovering a uh, fox skeleton, uh, and uh, uh, dealing with amorous goats and the, uh, the the goats who don't necessarily love them that's what's been going on uh, on the 40 acres. Uh, We'll talk more on the uh, program this hour about what's going on with you. The email address, as always, is 40acrefool at gmail.com. Plus, we'll talk about uh, some things going on outside of uh, my farm and your place and in the uh, great big world out there. A lot of of things going on around the world that are kind of troubling uh, and disturbing. We'll talk a little bit about the a second presidential debate, still waiting on a farm-related question, uh, actually, in either of the first two debates, and I believe that holds true for the uh, uh, the, the undercards that we have seen as well. I don't recall seeing one single uh, a farm or rural question. Do you? Ponder that for a moment. We'll uh, be right back with much more 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network.
0: 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat
1: and Stu. A couple of tweets in the main story. I like and admire Matt Damon. His white male dismissal and condensation of Effie Brown makes me cringe cringe. Now, did he condensate her? or did Yes. He, what was Condensation. It? Condensation. So like the water on the outside of
0: the that
1: really? glass? That's yeah, great. That's what he said. <laughs> right. There
0: you go. I, mean, I think we'll just leave yeah, that I like there. That. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: All right, welcome back. Uh, some of you, by the way, may be wondering, how is it, Cam, that uh, there was a dead fox in the corner of your garden uh, and you all didn't realize this for a while? So this is, um, I was kind of hoping you wouldn't think about that, but uh, you're smart. I knew that you would. So I should probably address this. This is where we get to the fool part of the 40 acres and a fool. Um, I-, I think I-, I think we mentioned over the course of the summer that the garden was doing meh. Uh, the, we got tomato blight. The tomatoes were uh, dying. Well I think I also talked about the fact that we kind of bit off more than we could chew, right? Uh, we never uh, got all of the beds totally cleared out. And uh, in, in, if you're new to the program, we have a garden area that is raised garden beds. I think this was a bad idea. I think, in fact, Missy e and I are finally in agreement on this, that this was a bad idea. Because we have something like 76 raised beds. Not... I mean, that's a lot of raised beds. We're not talking three, four, 76 different uh, raised beds. So no, not all of them got cleared. And then as the summer went on, the some of the weeds just grew taller and taller and taller. And uh, it's kind of a jungle back there. You know, I thought about – at some point I thought about pulling the weeds down. And I'm like, you know, if nothing else – um, it's good for the pollinators, right? I mean, I could have, I'm not planting stuff there. So I could spend my time weeding the garden beds that I'm really not going to plant, or I could just call it a wildflower garden and, uh, and let it go. And that's what we did. <laughs> and that's where the, uh, fox ended up expiring. So, um, we've also decided that the, the raised beds are, are, are going away. We're not going to, uh, mess with the raised beds next year we'll be uh going ahead and tilling everything getting it flat getting it even can't grow tomatoes uh in that uh, garden spot next year anyway because of the blight we actually have to wait a couple of years and let the uh the soil recover so what the plan is now and i'm and i'm still i'm still hoping to change this plan I'll be really honest with you um because <laughs> you know I think one of the things is that we bit off more than we could chew. Um, you know I work, Miss E works, uh, she homeschools uh, our youngest son and you know um, it's we're busy and I don't know that um, I don't know that we have the time for 76 garden beds worth of of garden to take care of, right? Much less more. Uh, but the plan right now is not to scale down, unfortunately, uh, but it is to get even bigger. So um, where the garden is now, we're going to uh, uh, put corn and beans and peas next spring. That's the uh, the plan. Uh, and then in one of the few level uh, patches of, of ground that we have, mostly level patches of ground that we have, uh, all the way over on the other side of the house, um, kind of over by where our, uh, our, our pigs have been kept in near the in front yard. Uh, we have a small grove of peach trees that uh, have never actually borne fruit. We've planted some apple trees this year, uh, and so those will be getting bigger. And there's a, a pretty good long strip of mostly level ground that uh, we are planning on turning into our garden next year. But that means, again, we're not necessarily getting smaller in size. So they don't have to use the entire garden space for uh, corn and and beans and peas. Um, I, I'm really hoping that we can kind of, if not scale down, we've got to get smarter uh, about what we're doing because, you know, we love having the fresh food. Uh, it is it's awesome. I mean, it really is. When you sit down at the table, and 90% of of what is there uh, came from you and the things that you've grown or the animals that you've taken care of. Uh, yeah, the salt, that didn't come from here. The, the pepper, that didn't come from here. The, the butter store-bought. Uh, but, but the meat and the veggies and uh, even the herbs – uh, you know, it's all you. You, you helped make this. It, it's not that you helped cook the meal; you helped create the meal. You helped make the meal, uh, and you know, I don't. I don't. I, I think about the organic and the GMO. I mean, I think about. I mean, I don't. I don't get caught up in it. Uh, that's not really like why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, I want that connection, even if I couldn't exactly tell you like what the connection is to. Uh, if, it, if it's to the past, if it's to the traditional way of agriculture and the traditional way that uh, we, uh, we, we grew our food, is it the connection to the food itself and, and knowing that, uh, that I made this? I mean, it's, it's probably a connection on a couple of different levels, I guess. Um, but I know that I like it. And it's not that I'm, I, I, you know, listen, I, I eat my meals at restaurants. Uh, I would say probably majority of the time, actually, I don't really know where my food is coming from even now, uh, three years in, but I love those meals where I do. Uh, and I would like to work more towards that. It's just a, uh, again, it's a, a matter of finding that balance and trying to do things unfoolishly, right? Trying to just be a little smarter about, uh, how I'm going about doing this, and now Miss E is going. How we're going about doing this, because this is uh, this is our third growing season. Yeah, 2013 was our first. Uh, this is our third growing season, and while it was a good one, um, I, I feel like we are still very much uh, in, in a steep learning curve. And I don't know when that ends, honestly. Um, I I don't know if you know after you've been doing this for ten years, all of a sudden you figure it out. If if it's five years, I have a suspicion that uh, Mother Nature is complicated and varied enough that uh, she constantly throws things at you, and you're never uh, someone who who really knows it all, right? There's always something that you're learning. There's always something that you're figuring out. I just wish it wasn't so much. (laughs) <laughs> that we're still learning and figuring out. But uh, we are having fun doing it. I will say that. And uh, actually, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, I was talking about some of the volunteers that have popped up in the garden or uh, away from the garden, the uh, tomato plants that were growing where we kept the pigs last year. And we had some pumpkins that were going, but they, they didn't really get big. They uh, the, the stems uh, died. So the pumpkins, they're not even pumpkin size, really. I mean, maybe softball size. Uh, but we did find more volunteers uh, yesterday, actually, as we were wandering around uh, after dinner, taking in the, uh, the beautiful sunset, which I mean, it just looked like the sky was on fire. It was amazing. Um, we ran across this vine that was growing up over a, a tree, and we start looking at the, the vine, and it doesn't look like the, the typical Virginia creeper uh, or poison ivy or anything like that. And we realize uh, Miss E spots uh, in, in between the leaves of this vine this fruit hanging down, this spiky football-looking fruit, smaller than a football, but football-shaped. And it's a fruit called a jelly melon kiwano. And this was something that we had planted last year. Uh, in 2014, as sort of a, huh, well, this looks interesting. Let's try it. And uh, and we didn't plant it again. The jelly melon cubano uh, is this, like I said, kind of spiky fruit. It's green. When it turns yellow into orange, that means it's ripe and it's ready to go. And you can uh, pick it, cut it in half, scoop out the uh, the inside, which is sort of like this jello consistency. Uh, and it tastes, it's supposed to taste like a cross between a banana and a lime. Um, okay. It was okay. It's a little astringent, uh, particularly if it's not really ripe yet. Uh, the riper it gets, the, the the less of that astringency goes away and it's more of a sweeter flavor. But I never really cared for the jelly melon kiwanos. Uh, and we had a lot of them. To eat. So we decided not to plant them this year. But we had fed, when we kind of got sick of the jelly melon kawanos last fall, we had fed uh, some of the uh, the fruit to our chickens. Uh, just tossed it out in the yard and they went and ate it up. And apparently, uh, either it is, we, this was not where we threw the jelly melon kawana, it was where the vine was growing. So I'm assuming that uh, a couple of the seeds must have passed through the chickens. Uh, and uh, or or other birds that may have uh, eaten this. And uh, that is why we have a massive jelly melon kiwano vine that has been growing uh, all summer long, unbeknownst to us. There are quite a few fruits there, and uh, none of them are, are ready to eat yet. But I'm guessing the chickens are I, – I, I have no interest in eating these again, so I'm guessing the chickens are going to get even more. This could be a vicious cycle of uh, all of a sudden now a farm being overwhelmed by a fruit that I don't like to eat. I might have to rethink this, uh, giving this to the chickens. Huh. See, I'm learning. I'm learning. A little bit at a time, but I'm learning. All right. We do need to take a, another quick break here on 40 Acres and a Fool. But stick around because there is much more still to come from the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards.
0: On the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin.
1: She deserves this. Hillary's going to lose and Martha ain't never going to be heard from again. I hate that woman. You know, the existence of a delegate derives from whom they represent. Good or bad. Look, even if you are associated with a candidate that goes on to lose, you still have
0: a certain status. At least you were a delegate, right? Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool. Cam Edwards, your host. So normally I record this uh, – we try to get the 40 Acres in a Fool podcast uploaded every Thursday on the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, just so you know, if you're not subscribing, you can uh, subscribe at SoundCloud. Make sure you get the, uh, the latest podcast each and every week. Um, but today I'm actually recording the podcast uh, early on Thursday morning because I stayed up Wednesday and I watched uh, all of the second Republican uh, presidential debate – And uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about uh, my thoughts on the debate. I'll I'll do that on NRA News Cam and Company, which, of course, you can catch each and every weekday live at 2 p.m. Eastern on uh, NRAnews.com, the new NRAnews.com. If you've not been to the new website, please go check it out. It is awesome. There is so much content. It is like the Netflix or the Hulu uh, of the Second Amendment. There are so many programs, and not just even really the Second Amendment. I mean, there are so many good programs like NRA Frontlines talking about the EMP threat that we uh, face, uh, to uh, Jenny Simone's investigative reports, to uh, the latest commentaries from Colleen Noir and Dom Rosso and Gabby Franco, to uh, my show, uh, NRA News Cam and Company. There's just so much to watch. There's so much to see, and it's a it's a fantastic resource. Uh, so I hope that you will visit the new NRA News Cam and Company uh, or the uh, new nranews.com and uh, check out NRA News Cam and Company live, 2 to 5 Eastern uh, weekdays, midnight Eastern I-Pacific on Sirius X and Patriot 125. Anyway, that's where I'll, I'll talk uh, more about the, the candidates, the debate, uh, and and you know who I thought did a good job, who I thought did a bad job. But one thing that did strike me, we, so we got the first gun question in the second debate uh, during prime time. Hugh Hewitt asked a, a farm-related question to uh, a couple of the candidates. We have yet to get a a, a farm, a rural, uh, an agriculture related question. I suppose with uh, immigration, um, we got uh, reference to, well, listen, I've talked with farmers and they say that there are just some jobs that, that they cannot get Americans to do. And so that was like the one agricultural reference that that we've uh, heard in these debates, and I, I'm, I, you know, I realize these are the questions that are being asked uh, of the candidates, but I'm not even sure that uh, uh, rural issues are on a lot of the the minds of these candidates. And it, you know, I, I don't know. I certainly look. This is going to be a jobs and economy election. Um, the biggest issues on all of the polls right now: jobs in the economy. Uh, crime is a, a growing concern, uh, and actually, the Second Amendment is a growing concern for voters out there, and they're not happy with President Obama's policies. But quality of life issues, what I would consider to be a, 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 a an issue where, uh, in what direction are we headed? You know, I have this book coming out with my friend uh, Jim Garrity next month. It's called Heavy Lifting. It's coming out by uh, Regnery Publishing, and it is available for pre-order now uh, on Amazon and uh, other major booksellers. And if you pre-order, it helps with the first week sales number. So that helps, you know, possibly get us onto a a bestseller list somewhere. That would be a, I need to knock on something wood related. There we go. Uh, so anyway, you can pre-order the book. As we were writing the book, and I'm doing research, um, on, you know, really what it's, some of the challenges growing up today. Uh, as opposed to 20 years ago when I was in my early 20s. I was struck by the small number of millennials who said that they wanted to live in the city. It was only about 10% of millennials said that they really wanted to they, – they really planned on staying in the city. That's where they wanted to uh, put down their roots. A lot of, millennial, a lot of millennials wanted to uh, move to the suburbs or live in the suburbs. And about 25% of the millennials that were surveyed said that they wanted to live in a rural area uh, or a small town. Now, that's much larger uh, than the rural population right now, right? We are a very urban uh, nation, and yet I I think that there is this growing desire uh, among many Americans to not have to live. Uh, in a big city, particularly among a lot of conservatives uh, and independents and libertarians. I think that there is a desire to not have to live in a big city, which is uh, more often than not going to be a deep blue city, right? And so we tend to cluster outside, if we can, we tend to cluster outside of the deep blue cities with all of the problems that exist within the deep blue cities. Um, But I think, again, that there is this a uh, growing desire to even get beyond that to to return to our small towns, to return uh, to the country. And look, maybe politicians will say, "Nah, it's not possible." Or, you know, this is just the uh, the way things are going to be. More and more people moving to the uh, cities. This is where the jobs are. I- I'm not sure that that has to be the case. Uh, honestly, I mean, we're I- I- I'm struck by uh, again. We've gotten a lot of like personality questions we've had a lot of uh, uh specific policy questions but one of the things that i'm curious about is uh what does what does the 21st american century look like uh and what does america look like at the midpoint of the 21st century 35 years from now will small towns still be dying Will the smallest towns be dead? Will the smaller towns of 30,000 people will they still be uh, hanging on? Will they be shedding population, losing jobs, and and the the big cities just keep getting bigger? Is that what we're headed towards, where we just have, you know, these big uh, mega cities and then miles and miles of uh, wilderness, farms maybe uh, controlled, run by one or two people and and they the robot helpers. I mean, I I don't I don't know uh, where we're going, but I do know that there is a desire uh, on the part of a lot of Americans to not go in that direction, uh, to find their own space and their own plot of ground, uh, a community, and I think that that's uh, one of the things that they really we that we are really looking for. Uh, is that that community? You know, it's interesting. I've I, I don't get a chance to listen to a lot of talk radio, um, but I've had the opportunity because I've been in, in my car so much recently and and driving back and forth between Farmville and D.C. I've had a chance to listen to more talk radio, and so I've been listening to uh, to Glenn Beck uh, a little bit more in the mornings uh, than I've uh, had the the chance to lately. And on Sirius X and Patriot, uh Glenn comes on at 9 a.m. uh Eastern Time. The six to nine host is uh Mike Church, the the King Dude. And I've had a chance to listen to Mike a little bit more lately, too. And I've I've been really struck by um both of these gentlemen and the individual ways in which they too are striving to connect with the community to create uh, a community, not just of uh, sycophants or fans, right? That's in fact, that's not the point at all. Um, but a, a a deeper community. Uh, you know, Mike Church has talked a lot about uh, his spiritual growth and uh, returning to the Catholic Church. Glenn has talked about the need of people of faith to uh, come together to, despite you know individual denominational differences but to put those aside and to start working towards something greater than ourselves. And Glenn, this week, as I was listening, he said, you know, uh, you, you may have been feeling this too. He was talking very much in a spiritual uh, uh, aspect. And I think that there is something uh, to what Glenn is saying. And I think that it is also playing itself out in a lot of different ways. People are returning to church, uh, or maybe they are uh, uh, looking to God and looking to religion, maybe they are exploring these things, but I think they're also wanting to connect again with those communities that 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 we used to have. One of those communities was the church, right? Um, as a matter of fact, I tell you what. Why don't we go ahead and take a, a time out of here? Uh, when we come back, I realize that this is completely well, it's not completely unrelated. To farming because it is you know one of the reasons why we moved is we wanted that community uh, and in my readings over the past week or so I've been uh, I told you last week I've been doing some just really bizarre uh, readings just just going off on like 1930s politics and some of the uh, the the older conservative writings of the 30s and the 40s and the 50s uh, and I finished this book by. Uh, Robert Nisbet, who, yeah, you never, I, if if you've heard of Robert Nisbet, email me at 40 fool at gmail.com, uh, or 40acrefool at gmail.com, excuse me. Uh, if you know who Robert Nisbet is and, uh, and you've heard of this book uh, that I'm about to describe after the quick timeout, I want to hear from you. I want to learn from you. You can be my Yoda. I will I will be your Jedi apprentice. Uh, anyway, it's a fascinating book. It's all about uh, the quest for community. In fact, that's what it's called, The Quest for Community. And this was written quite some time ago, but i got to say, it, uh, it still, I think, it resonates loudly. So we'll talk about it after a, a quick timeout. Stick around. There is more 40 Acres and a Fool still to come.
0: 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck
1: Sexton. It's one thing to say Syria is not our problem. It's another thing to say Syria is not our problem, and oh by the way, it's not even a big deal. We can do nothing, and everything's just going to get better there. That's just not true. If you say Syria is not our fight, then understand that there's going to be the migrant crisis and vast. War. We're not. They're not even counting the dead in the Syrian Civil War anymore. Have you noticed that?
0: Buck Sexton, weekdays noon to two p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards continues on the Blaze Radio
1: Network. Thanks again for hanging out with us on another episode of 40 Acres and a Fool. So we were talking uh, before the break about the desire on the part of so many Americans to to not live in big cities, uh, the lack of um, any, any real discussion about um, – things like this at the presidential debate. And maybe, look, maybe presidential politics is not the place to have this discussion. Uh, maybe this goes beyond the political. In fact, I think that it does go beyond the political. You know, Andrew Breitbart said, uh, politics is downstream from culture. And, uh, you know, politics may not be the uh, the, the right tool to use um, to to talk about uh, the desires of our society and the desires of our culture, those unmet desires, uh, the fact that a lot of us seem to be pretty unhappy uh, with the way things are, right, or with our lives. And uh, The Quest for Community by uh, Robert Nisbet uh, is a, a a really interesting look uh, at this phenomenon. So The Quest for Community comes out in 1953. It's after World War II. Um and you know started the, the the beat generation uh and and Nisbet actually writes about the alienation that is so prevalent and he thinks is 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 growing uh more prominent in our modern society and he he kind of traces back well, where did this alienation come from? he says it 's a major driving theme of uh, our society that we seem to become a a nation of alienated individuals uh, an island unto ourselves. And that what has been destroyed over time uh, has been not the, the, uh, the idea of community, but those intermediate relationships between the individual and the state. Uh, and he makes the argument that going back to uh, Rousseau and the concept of the general will, uh, in the French Revolution, putting uh, Rousseau's philosophies into practice, that the state has steadily uh, tried to destroy or uh, de emphasize and delegitimize those uh, intermediate communities that stand between the individual and the state. The state doesn't like those uh, intermediate communities, whether they are Church, whether they are family, whether they are civic groups, whether they are uh, uh, groups like the National Rifle Association, whether they are private academies of arts and sciences, the the state doesn't like independence. The state, uh, according to uh, Robert Nisbet, uh, likes to have that direct relationship between the individual uh, and the state so that the state can be responsible for the well-being of that individual. There are so many lines in this book that, that struck me. Uh, and this is available, by the way, as an e-book. Uh, so I, I, I bought the e-book and I'm making notes on the the uh, e-margins the e- and uh, you know, highlighting different things. But here, here's a line, for instance, uh, where he's talking again about just the, the, the effects of this uh, alienation and this uh, disaffection. Um, he says there's a – and again, this is 1953 – There is a growing appeal of pseudo-intimacy with others, a kind of pathetic dependence on the superficial symbols of friendship and association. He uh, went on to say, If Hollywood provides us both with its own life and in its pictures with the most uh, familiar examples of the pseudo-intimacy, they are assuredly not lacking in other areas of our mass culture. The craving for affection and tangible evidences of accord which psychiatrists have declared to be so central in contemporary neurotic behavior as a broad base in popular behavior. So let's unpack that for a second if we can. (laughs) Growing appeal of pseudo-intimacy with others, a pathetic dependence on the superficial symbols of friendship and association, like, well, we're friends on Facebook, right? Or, I like that. See, you have affirmation. The craving for affection and the tangible evidences of accord of, yeah, you go. I'm going to retweet you. I'm going to favorite that. Which psychiatrists have declared to be so central in contemporary neurotic behavior uh, as a broad base in popular behavior. Mm-hmm. See, we are, I think, craving those genuine connections. It hasn't been that long in human history uh, that we have gone from the norm being. a a, a day where you may only interact with a few people, may interact with a dozen or more people, but you knew who they were. They knew who you were. You had known them for years. A lot of them may have been family members. Now we are able to contact and, and, and communicate with thousands of people every day. And yeah, some of them may still be Friends that you've known for years and family members, um, but a lot of them aren't. And that even even if they are, when you're connecting with them in a 140 character tweet or a Facebook post, uh, it's not the same as that face to face interaction. It's not the same. It's not the same as that kinship uh, bond when you're living uh, in a, in roughly the same area and you're interacting with each other every day. Again, these were patterns of life and culture that existed for thousands of years, and they've really only been interrupted, on a scale like this anyway, since the uh, since the end of World War II. Um, so I think that there is something to this idea of alienation, and I don't think that it's gone away. I think that... Uh, uh, in, in many respects, you know, our modern world that we live in now uh, is the post World War II era. Uh, I know a lot of the baby boomers would say that. Well, no, actually, our you know maybe it started in the '60s. That was the start of our uh, of our, our new calendar, right? The new era uh, in American history. But I think it actually goes back to the end of World War II because the counterculture of the '60s was really, uh, in many ways, as particularly at the beginning. Uh, an offshoot of and uh, somewhat a a, a mimicry of and a worship of the uh, disaffected, the lost generation, uh, the disaffected individuals who maybe never fought in World War II or who did fight in World War II and came home and uh, couldn't find themselves, those who uh, became the beats and inspired that uh, generation of rebellion. You know, Marlon Brando, what are you rebelling against? What do you got? James Dean, rebelling without a cause— uh, that was all in the 1950s, and the 60s just took it uh, even further. So I, I think that this this world that uh, Robert Nisbet describes uh, in 1953 in A Quest for Community is still very much the world that we live in now. And, in fact, I think that uh, we've, we've gone further down this road uh, that uh, Robert Nisbet writes about. He said, um, The belief that all important goals of human life are realizable through political and economic planning for large aggregates of the population is as powerful today as it was in the age of the French Enlightenment. But what has been abandoned, he writes, are the older intellectual goals of political rationalism. These, he says, were the socially free individual, moral impersonality, contract, and competition. Their place, he writes, has been taken in contemporary aspiration by the imperatives of personal status, security, and community. So again, he says we're striving for something, we're looking for something that we don't have, that loss of community. And he says, where there is widespread conviction that community has been lost, there will be a conscious quest for community in the form of association that seems to promise the greatest moral refuge. He says in one age of society, in the early Middle Ages, for example, um, that, that quest may end in the corporate church or in the extended family or the village community. But he says in the present age, for enlarging masses of people, this same quest terminates in the political party or action group. It's the image of community contained in the promise of the absolute communal state that seems to have the greatest evocative power. And he says especially this has become manifest in Europe, again, right in the uh, early 1950s. And above all other forms of political association, he says, it is the totalitarian communist party that most successfully exploits the craving for moral certainty and communal membership. He says, in it we find states of mind and intensities of fanaticism heretofore known only in certain types of religious cult. What's the new religion, in other words? What is a supplanted religion? Is it the belief uh, in the state? Um, and certainly we do have those who believe that uh, the state uh, in the, is all-powerful and all-knowing right, and omniscient. Um, I would say uh, – and Nisbet doesn't write about this in his book, but I would say we also now have capital S Science and we have people who v- really do view scientists as these sort of priest wizards uh, and they lay down the, uh, the, their commandments, right, the, uh, their, their rules. Uh, and these are people who are – these are not people who are particularly um, adept with uh, the various branches of science. In fact, I mean you actually just see – do you even science, bro, right? I mean it's now shorthand. Uh, and what's sad is that a lot of the people who think that they're smart, as they snarkingly uh, claim, do you even science, bro? They don't. They don't science. By the way, science is not a verb. But they are not of a scientific bent. They have, uh, I think in many cases, uh, simply swapped out science for religion. And they'll look down on people of, of faith. Uh, but that's what they have. They don't have uh, the the, the real scientific mindset, which is doubt and uncertainty and and skepticism for not just uh, points of view that that you don't appreciate, but uh, for even your points of view. They don't have a scientific mindset. They have faith, they have belief. And the truth is that, you know, science and religion can actually go in hand. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. Um, Nisbet says, contemporary prophets of the totalitarian community seek with all of the techniques of modern science at their disposal to transmute popular cravings for community into a millennial sense of participation in heavenly power on earth. We are going to end poverty in this country. Lyndon Johnson said that 50 years ago as he launched the War on Poverty. We haven't. We are going to do whatever it takes, hashtag whatever it takes, to end gun violence in this country, to end violent crime in this country, say the uh, anti-gun advocates. When we are able to make demon rum illegal, when we are able to uh, cleanse this nation of the uh, uh, devilish spirits, then we will purify this nation. We'll be a a, a truly uh, morally upright nation," said the uh, proponents of prohibition. But the state has to be used right. The, the state is the uh, that 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 powerful sword. Uh, that is used to uh, uh, to enact these uh, desires of the people, right? That heavenly, to create heaven on earth. When suffused, Nisbet writes, by popular spiritual devotions, the political party becomes more than a party. It becomes a moral community of almost religious intensity, a deeply evocative symbol of collective, redemptive purpose, a passion, he writes, that implicates every element of, of belief and behavior in the individual's existence. That is totalitarianism. And I think that we have uh, a mindset and a movement in this country that that does believe in totalitarianism. Um, they, of course, they would deny it. They probably wouldn't even know what the word means, though, what it really means. Uh, and again, what it means is all within the state, nothing outside of the state. And that is certainly the direction that, uh, that we are headed. So the answer or, or maybe the opposite, I shouldn't say the answer, the opposite of that of that totalitarianism, everything within the state, nothing outside of the state uh, is not anarchy. It is not uh, individual atomism uh, where you have you know 330 million uh, individuals uh, who are all just doing their own thing and there's there's no uh, guiding principle, no guiding authority whatsoever. And the answer Nisbet says is is in those intermediate relationships like family and church uh, and your social groups uh, and even your uh, civic groups like the, the National Rifle Association. Uh, those intermediate communities are where we are able to live uh, in freedom and the stronger those communities are, the stronger those intermediate communities between the state and the individual are, uh, then the uh, more liberty and more freedom uh, we typically possess. It's Anyway, it, it, it was a fascinating book. It. I'll be honest with you, it took me a little bit to get into. Uh, it it uh, First, I don't know if it was me or if it was the book, because when I got into it, I really got into it. But the uh, first 50 pages or so was a, a little bit of a grind for me. But after that, it was uh, really interesting. Uh, again, it's the Quest for Community. It is Robert Nisbet. And uh, it is thought provoking because I think that that is one of the things that we are looking for. Look, social media is great, right? Facebook is awesome, Twitter's really cool. It's it's it's, it's neat. It's 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 powerful. It is important, and I think it's a good thing that we are able to connect uh, with strangers from all around the world, and we are able to have uh, discussions, possibly, uh, and 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 maybe real friendships can grow, but. Let's not pretend, and I think that we know that the typical relationships that you're going to have and the interactions that you're going to have—maybe uh, is the better word to use—the interactions that you're going to have in these mediums are very shallow, right? They're they're likely going to skim the surface. There's not a lot of depth to them, um, and there's a, I think a a degree of uh, artificiality at a time when we are. I think looking for authenticity. Uh, Facebook isn't; it's not a real community. Twitter not a real community. Not like our parents and our grandparents had, but it's what we have, and so we uh, we try to make the best of it. Uh, and I think in, in ways we do, but I think I think, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here at fortyagerfool uh, at gmail dot com. I think that a lot of us are looking for something more. I think we are looking for that uh, that community, the real community. And I hope that if that's what you're looking for, one of the things you're looking for, I hope that you find it. And I hope that this can be one of those places. Uh, so again, shoot me an email, 40 fool at gmail.com. I like the really long emails, by the way. I like, I like sharing them. Feel free to just go on as long as you want. You do not have to keep it to 140 characters. If you're new to the program, or if I've not heard from you, if you've been listening and, and uh, haven't written in, shoot me an email this week. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear a little bit about you and your background, what brought you to the show, and uh, what you're growing, what you're raising, what your plans are for the future. I would love to hear from you. Again, the email address is 40acrefool at gmail.com. All right. It is, unfortunately... Time to wrap things up this week. But thanks so much for being a part of this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. I'm Cam Edwards, and we'll talk to you here soon. Until then, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot, and we'll see you here soon on 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. This is 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze
0: Radio Network.